0: Hello Boomers. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we do have quite a few spoilers for the film The Painter and the Thief. So if you would like to avoid those spoilers, then the time is from 4 minutes and 15 seconds to 8 minutes and 56 seconds. Okay, here we go. Hello, hello, you found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. Today, we're going to talk about a film that we both saw called The Artist and the Thief and probably the, the coronavirus and some other things. And one thing I want to check in with you about is, did you get my message that Audacity had eaten the episode, the last episode? No. Just as well. It ate it after looking for it and looking for it. And I keep saving it. It's not as if I never saved it. I, but I just closed my computer, walked out, and got a haircut.
1: <laughs> That's very good. It's good. To step away from the problem.
0: Oh, I had to step away from it. I just was gonna yep. lose my mind. So I consider having my haircut a very good omen.
1: Yeah, it helps you solve the technical problem.
0: All these technical things, it's so hard yes. to wrap my little head around them. Anyway, that's that. And you had a birthday this week. I oh, sure did. Did you have a birthday week or just a birthday
1: day? Pretty much a birthday day, and it was very nice, as you know, because you were a major part <laughs> of it. There. And I thank you for it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It, it's like COVID holidays are different. Yes. They're just lower key and you just, it's one more day that you didn't get sick and <laughs> you're
0: oh. soldier on hadn't thought of it that way, but I see your point. But for your birthday, you chose a film. I'm so glad you chose because it turned out to be awesome.
1: It was really great, wasn't it? It
0: Really, really was. I can't stop thinking about it.
1: It's quite a film.
0: And the title is The Artist and the Thief. Is that right? No, the
1: title is The Painter and the Thief. Oh,
0: shoot, the painter. And she's quite a painter.
1: Yeah, she's an amazing painter. She paints like in realistic 3D depth.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Almost photographic realism.
0: Um, we learn, as we go through the film, that she has a hard time getting her work shown. Mm-hmm. And that did surprise me, because it's so compelling.
1: Well, maybe she won't have as hard a time now. Oh, maybe <laughs> now
0: not Now that maybe she's not. made
1: herself famous, it's all a clever ruse.
0: <laughs> we have to go back, just so people who are listening know, the movie starts with her beginning a painting the painting is something that she wins an award for at some sort of a gallery I just and
1: remember she has a she has a showing at a gallery and her paintings are put up
0: maybe it wasn't a pro- maybe it was just she was being honored then the the painting and another one are put up in the two windows of the gallery very right. prominently displayed. Now, that's all that the filmmaker could have known about when this saga began, right? I mean, it just was the luck of her hand that she got involved right when the painting was stolen and there Mm -hmm. was video of the thieves and their faces Mm -hmm. were clearly recognizable, although Mm -hmm. not to us they were pixelated, but recognizable and they were arrested.
1: This whole film looked like it was carefully planned and filmed and yet it seemed so spontaneous that it couldn't have been. And I know we both commented As you're watching it, you're thinking, well, I wonder how they were so frank with each other, so emotionally raw with someone there taking pictures. And then at a certain point, you just have to go, I don't know. And you you give up on that and just abandon yourself to the story because it's so compelling.
0: And I didn't know, but I suspected that there was a performative aspect of it because Mm -hmm. there was a were there that there may have been some oh, what is the word not kismet serendipity something mm-hmm. like that yeah. yeah and that it all sort of flowed together
1: yeah well we don't know no. how it was edited what they did how they made it well but we should say been. that in the course of the film there are human interactions between the two main people in the film i was hesitating to call them characters because it's documentary but right. it's done it in such a cinematic feature film style that you take them as characters in a story almost the filming is so seamless and so smooth. And the editing yeah.
0: is so great. Mm-hmm.
1: Everything's wonderful. It felt like a feature film. It did. It didn't really feel like a documentary.
0: It did. And I guess we should also say, because it happens right up in the front and it is in the advertising for the mm-hmm. film, that the painter in court she approaches the thief Mm -hmm. and asks him why he took her painting, and he can't really answer her. But they become involved with each other, not romantically Mm -hmm. at all, but Mm -hmm. they become very, very involved with each other. He's a much more passive character. I was thinking about this, that the two things he did before he had a turnaround in his life, the two most active things that he did were he stole the painting and he stole a car. And those were almost the singular things where he actually acted on his own. On behalf.
1: Hmm. I don't want to say too much, <laughs> but yeah, he had medical issues that made him that way. I'm not right. going to say any more. Right. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> We can always cut this out if it isn't appropriate, but yeah. one thing I wanted to check in with you about that we didn't discuss is the boyfriend, who I thought was her husband. Oh, yeah. Now, the painter herself is Czech, and she right. moved to Oslo in Norway mm-hmm. to have a better, she felt, chance of her art becoming commercial and selling. And there she met this man, and I was mm. ambivalent about him because of the way he went after her <laughs> about the mm-hmm. hand, and that I felt he was intruding on her process.
1: Yeah. He and was
0: he- so questioning her, and she would tell him, and then he would continue to question her. It's like a moral issue for him.
1: I'd like to watch it again and see what's up with that. I mean, I had two or three different takes on that while it was happening. First, I thought he was just jealous of the intimacy that was developing between her and the subject. Yeah. And then I thought, no, maybe that's not it. Maybe he was really concerned that she was repeating a pattern of yes. hers that was self-destructive that had to do with indulging a sense of injury and a certain sense of hurt and relating oh. to someone from the standpoint of them being wounded and how that might be dicey territory for her given that she came from a place where she was a victim of violence.
0: You picked that up and I didn't get that. I think mm-hmm. that's really spot on. I he seemed I sincerely
1: I concerned that she was going down a path that was self-destructive and, and he felt bad because he didn't feel he could support her in it. He would have to leave yes. because she was was almost like she was, in his view, she was in some way repeating some kind of addictive pattern of her own that was self-destructive
0: interesting because she did seem to be obsessed with him yeah
1: the worse he got the more obsessed she became
0: yeah the more she opened herself up to him
1: yeah and that was his view i think his view was valid about another take on her experience would be that she knew what it was to be wounded deeply and to heal or to at least start on a process of healing to me, that was the bond that the two of them had, was that yeah, she yes. could see him without judgment and root for him to find a way to get himself back and his life back.
0: And what's so interesting is she healed because of the boyfriend, she thought.
1: Right. But in yeah.
0: reality, we see that that's not necessarily the case. Or there's there layers, is, yeah. There are many layers there. Yeah,
1: and maybe that was yeah. the boyfriend's concern this from his point of view, she was backsliding. Very and we didn't. we don't really know the details. It'd be interesting to know more about her transition when she got to Norway and met him it's the thief who writes a story about it and says how the boyfriend healed her, her, more or less. Okay. Yeah, saved her. So, she
0: would uh, otherwise.
1: But we, we don't see too far into that story.
0: We really don't. Which, and it's interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah it's,
1: it's fine. And it's fine that we don't. It's just the characters are so compelling and that they happen to be real people.
0: <laughs> and they're real people and there isn't a romance involved. It really doesn't go the
1: way, the way a Hollywood would have done it.
0: Would go, yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. But Hollywood so. would have done it about the guy getting jealous of the relationship. And that it wasn't really his thing. But I don't I think, think there
0: it was, was some jealousy there, but maybe, I don't know maybe. that that was the most active element. Yeah,
1: of it. I think he recognized that the intimacy that she and the thief felt was also a shared experience of addiction. Hers was more of an emotional addiction and his um, had been an actual drug addiction. But, you know, that's what makes it a good film is you, you're left with these questions and you can kind of look at it different ways and it's not all spelled out for you at all. And right. yet it's a very satisfying story.
0: It's a great story. It's an epic story. And I just keep thinking, about him, I keep thinking about her.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, it's a great film. It's about trauma and healing from trauma and seeing and being seen and the healing power of actually being seen by another human being. It's, exactly. just, it's very inspiring. One
0: thing I want to say as far as the <laughs> medical and penal system in Norway is that this man, how many how much surgery did he need? Yeah. And, yeah. He, and he was put back together again. Right. And his jail cell was this nice little wooden room. It was like dorm room mm-hmm. it was exactly like a dorm room
1: yeah
0: and he had a therapist yeah and I just couldn't help but think if the same thing had happened I think I, I said it when we were watching it if he had been a black American he right. would have been sent away 25 years
1: yeah well they don't have the scourge <laughs> the history and heritage of slavery and racial dehumanization and all the things that art culture is saddled with. But oh, it was I w- an excellent, it was an excellent, excellent movie. You know what I saw yesterday? It's also really fun to watch. as Mucho, Mucho Amor. You oh,
0: you of? watched that? Oh, I watched okay. it
1: yesterday. And How get this, I watched it with my friend Sol and there's an app you can get in Chrome, in Google Chrome. Yeah. It's called Netflix Party and it's a little bit like Zoom. You can have a movie viewing party online. What it consists of is you watch the movie together you have to watch it on a computer screen that's a little bit the downside okay. whoever's the host starts the movie and then the other people log in with a little link that they get from the host similar right. to how zoom works and you're watching the movie in real time with each other and there's a chat feature on the side, so you can oh, chat with oh. each other while you're watching the movie. Fun. It's like having a virtual movie party. Oh, you know? that sounds like a blast! It's I love It's kind of cool. That. Did
0: you have any more people on it? No,
1: but you could. You could do more.
0: Oh, that sounds like really. It's a- kind of cool, like you know, cool.
1: for pandemic yeah. times. It's kind of, kind of so fun. how you have to pick a movie that's not too visually arresting because you wouldn't. I wouldn't want to watch it on a 13-inch screen if it was like a you know oh, a really yes, yes. big scenic kind of movie. But for a documentary. It's not bad. And that was a documentary. And so we watched Mucho Mucho Amor, which is about this television astrologer healer named Walter Mercado, who was from Puerto Rico. And he was a sensation on Hispanic television, uh, Telemundo and all of that from the late 60s up into the 80s, maybe early 90s. And the interesting thing about him is he blurred gender lines in how he presented himself. And this was really before people were talking about alternative gender expression beyond binary. So he was kind of a forerunner. And he was a very attractive man. Man. But he, as he got older, he presented himself with this kind of blown-dried blonde hairdo that was that was really kind of very feminine. Right away, you thought this guy's gay, or at least he very much straddles the line between presenting himself as almost female but not quite. And he wears these long flowing robes and then he takes them off and it's very theatrical. So he was kind of a Liberace, only instead of playing piano he was a healer. And he had these call-in shows and he would give people their horoscopes on television. And he was wildly popular and for some reason I know him. I think he must have segued into English-speaking TV in the 90s because I know I used to see him on TV. So I think in New York I must have seen him. He was on Oprah, once on this kind of thing. So what's really interesting about him is that the Hispanic culture is more homophobic than our own. Right. And and in the 60s, 70s, 80s was even more so and yet he was a very popular, very widely embraced television personality. So I don't know how that worked. I think people compartment. Oh, we talked about it. You and I were talking about
0: it. The category of exceptionalism.
1: That's right. So he's another example of what we were talking about the other night. Anyway, it's great. At one part, Lin-Manuel Miranda gets to come and meet him because Lin-Manuel Miranda grew up getting his horoscopes from this guy and his, really? he would be with his grandmother and every- everything would have to come to a halt when Walter <laughs> Mercado came on so that they could hear their horoscopes but mostly it's about him and it's about aging you know and how the he was very much into you know the fillers and the facelifts and keeping his look as fresh as he could and so aging was really hard for him but it's interesting he was kind of a pioneer oh and that's the thing they said too in this documentary is that mostly people who know him are older people But now he's, well, he passed away last year. He was 80-something. But there's a whole new crop of young transgender people that have learned about him, particularly Spanish language and Hispanic culture transgender people who have come to embrace him as one of their leaders, one of their heroes.
0: Okay, now I have to profess my ignorance here was he transgender or was he non-binary or i mean was he gay i'm not quite sure he never
1: said he never defined himself he said i'm me i'm walter mercado but his presentation was very in between male and female
0: yeah he wouldn't
1: answer whether he was gay or not he has this lifetime companion who's also his dresser and his ballet and his makeup person and all of this and you think maybe their relationship also was sexual but they do not go into it they do mention how he does not talk about that he says i'm in love with everything and everybody he says i make love with the world he says the universe is my lover so he's enigmatic on that score but in a way that's his power and his strength is he doesn't conform to labels yeah so would
0: that be something though i mean what if we all were non-binary what if we just were all one thing? On the spectrum. Well, what if we were... All, oh, right. I mean, what if we were never identified by our gender?
1: Yeah, at all? well, maybe there's languages that are constructed that way. In English, we don't have genders for nouns, but yeah. in a lot of languages they do. So it could be that there's some language where people aren't restricted by gender-defined maybe. pronouns. You know. you know
0: more about languages than I do, considering yeah. all of your... your my, <laughs> my
1: Amazon University. <laughs>
0: Well, maybe someday. Someday we will all be one thing.
1: Maybe. Or we'll have new words. But that's a wonderful thing about language is that it lives, you know, and it changes and it's, it evolves. It
0: was interesting today. I went to get my hair cut and there was someone there. They were unknowable to me as to what their gender was. right. And at first I was sort of like, hmm, and then I forgot all about it. And it was the best thing because they checked me in and I was like, well, huh, isn't that fantastic that here's this kind of mainstream place right. and this person is the front desk. And then the next thing I knew, it was not even part of my consciousness of who they were. So right. I'm all for that. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a wonderful process. It's like the society gave us this supposed need to define, people that we see and interact with in certain categories to the point that we, we're uncomfortable if we can't put them in the right box. But then you got the experience of having that shaken up a little bit and loosened. Yes.
0: I, I feel that I'm very sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. I'm very sensitive to someone who might be transitioning. I try to be aware and yet what I learned today is don't be aware. It's you know.
1: fascinating. There, I think when one is a member of a privileged group, whether it's race or gender or maybe something else, like I have my white male privilege. And I've felt at times where it's like, I'm impatient with having to make allowances for how someone else wants to be named or referred to or tagged. I'm impatient, you know, it's like, I don't have time for that, but that's just an expression of my privilege, my discomfort with having to maybe change the way I view somebody. It's inconvenient to change your worldview, but it's a a healthy inconvenience.
0: Well, that leads me to something that I, I heard or read about racism. I think it was Maya Angelou. I could be wrong, but I believe that Maya Angelou said, if you walk up to a birdcage and look through the slat, you won't see the cage Uh, you'll see the bird uh, and you'll think this bird is free to fly away uh, but if you move backward then you see the structure uh and you see that there is no way that bird can fly away that structure is created so that they can't fly Right. That's what the system of racism is in the United States. And I thought that was pretty brilliant because it's hard for me to wrap my mind around what all that is about. Mm-hmm. And I think about it in a way that where if you have something that's structured like that, well, you need wire cutters, right? You know? But more than that, you need the permission of the person who has created that structure and has kept that bird in that cage. And that's where the tough part comes in. You know, letting go, it is inconvenient. Yeah.
1: So, the status quo is so comfortable, yes. but but so dangerous to stay comfortable in. It is. Know.
0: And my only fear on that level is that it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to change it. Mm-hmm. That, that's what the harsh reality is. And mm-hmm. now we've all seen it, but it's going to take Herculean energy and effort to change right. it. And, well, uh, and the
1: right leadership and the right moment and the right, yeah, a lot of things have to align, I think, for yes. there to be a, a real change.
0: But you're right, the right leadership. And I was reading something today that said that racism Medical care and housing. These all three are interrelated. They all Mm -hmm. speak. way we think about human beings in our right. society and that they I'm, I'm sorry did I put climate change in there what yeah. did I say? black lives matter medical care homelessness and climate change and that they all have to be dealt with in the same way they are all <laughs> interconnected and affect us all even though we think that they affect only some of us
1: well it may happen in January or start to happen in January it started to happen already it's happening in the streets it's so. happening in
0: the streets but it really has to be legislated that's the big difference. Right. Our change. And right. in order for laws to change, white men have to give up their privilege. That's going to be a tough one.
1: It's true. And we have a Supreme Court that has absolute contempt for the whole principle of democracy and power of the vote. So we have, we have some uh, obstacles yeah. to confront.
0: And I have to say, as a woman has contempt for women's and for women, mm-hmm. no matter what they did with the first abortion thing, this last where yeah. people could object on moral grounds to women's mm-hmm. I don't understand they don't want women to have abortions then why don't they give them birth control
1: right I was thinking about that too because it's it's if the employer has problems then they can carve out contraceptive care and uh, reproductive care out of their health plan yeah and I thought well you know what they're gonna say they're gonna say well if that's an important priority for a person they should just not apply for a job with that employer right but people who need jobs don't have that luxury
0: that's exactly to right. go,
1: oh, I need reproductive care, so I'm not going to apply to Hobby Lobby for a job. Well, they may be the only people hiring in your right. town. Yes. So you don't have a choice.
0: No. Yeah. And the idea that a woman, here's what really is to me the basis of all of this discussion, abortion right, agency over one's body, mm-hmm. agency over mm-hmm. one's reproductive rights. It's about women having sex. On what moral grounds would someone object to a woman having birth control? Because it means she's having sex.
1: Right. And right. married
0: sex or unmarried sex, they don't really care. They're that's afraid the of that power. That's right. That's right. That's the fact that a woman would be a sexual being is something mm-hmm. that is just anathema to, right. to these people. And it yeah. just drives me crazy because if they really didn't want abortions, they really would push the birth control. Mm-hmm. Even though Hobby Lobby said that having a an intrauterine device, an IUD, was the same as having an abortion. Hmm. There's no science to right. back that up. Right. But in the mind of the courts, that suddenly became a real thing. I think we need to look a lot more at science from now on climate science and all the rest of it.
1: Yeah. Well, Glenn Kirshner says we can add two people to the court. That's doable and change the majority he that doesn't.
0: way. Yeah. yeah. There is nothing in the Constitution that says we have to have nine <laughs> judges in court. After eight
1: years of McConnell, I feel gloves are off. We can do whatever we want.
0: Yes. If exactly. we take the Senate back. Yeah. Well, I think we've again covered all the bases. I guess so. This was fun. I'm so glad we yeah. saw that film.
1: That was one of the best films.
0: Okay, well, we have to sign off with our boomer friends.
1: Okay, boomers. Good to- Goodbye, boomers. Good to be with you. See you in a week.
0: See you in a week. Bye-bye. You.
1: So long.